I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Save both yourself and your hearers. 
to the words of God and the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. So last week, uh, if you were here, we talked about that famous scene in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood in which Fred washes Francois Clemens' feet. And it's this politically charged thing, like this white man sharing a swimming pool with a black man in the 60s. But the scene was also, and I don't know if you, you noticed this, a blatant recreation of a story in the Gospel of John. wonder what story that is. Would anybody like to shout it out? Participation. What recreate, what's the recreation of this story? Jesus. Thank you. Very good. You all are good. Okay. Jesus washing the disciples' feet. In this story, Jesus washes the feet of his followers, the people who are supposed to be less powerful, less important than he himself is, the moral being that great leaders are first and foremost great servants, right? That we can and maybe we even should serve one another. <coughs> For all the, the biblically evocative nature of all of that nature in that one scene, that foot washing scene, what's most striking to me though is that Fred Rogers never says the word God. Fred Rogers never says the word Jesus. Fred was an ordained Presbyterian minister, but you would not know that by watching his program. That scene with Officer Clemens is about as close as we ever get in all of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood to telling a, a Bible story in the neighborhood. <coughs> and so why is that? Why is it? In all of his interviews, Fred does not really answer this question. Why didn't you talk about God, Fred, in a time when it would have actually been completely acceptable to talk about God in a children's television show? Fred shows the unacceptable over the acceptable. Fred didn't mention the name of Jesus, but in, 19, in 1999, while sitting for this four and a half hour retrospective interview, Fred, rather than talking explicitly about his beliefs, he talks about the way in which, while growing up, he saw faith tangibly at work in the world. He talked about his industrialist father's philanthropy and his mother's service work. He marveled at something like 25,000 volunteer hours his mother had put in the hospital, how, how she loved being a nurse's aide how during the Second World War, she was in charge of making surgical dressings for the troops, and Fred remembers helping his mother gently fold the squares of gauze over and over again. I mean, what better metaphor is there for binding up the brokenness of this world than literally making gauze bandages? And Fred talked about growing up in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, the small but active industrial town just outside of Pittsburgh, where in its heyday there were trolley cars and smokestacks and banana splits. This is where banana splits were in invented. And he talked about Pennsylvania and its rich Scottish and German influence, which 
is not known to be very affectionate and it's not known to be very affirming. Where men especially were stern and stolid and considered maybe a little cold. And how these sturdy old Scottish immigrants were Presbyterians. This Protestant tradition that is older than the founding of this country where many Presbyterians were involved in writing the Declaration of Independence and early governance um, for our country that a lot of our United States government structures are remarkably built upon today that's so similar to um, Presbyterian tradition of election and general assembly and, and all these bodies that come together with one voice rather than having a bishop or a pope. We build our country on, on, on this way of governing the Presbyterian church. And Fred didn't talk about God, though. Fred talked about growing up in the middle of the Great Depression and how Latrobe's population was mostly blue-collar, people working in factories, and pretty much everyone was struggling to, to make ends meet. Pretty much everyone, except for Fred Rogers except for the Rogers family. They came from old banking and industry money, but both of Fred's parents were extraordinarily giving, helping hundreds and hundreds in Latrobe, giving away a lot of their money to people who needed it. They used their privilege to help others with their money and their time, and they learned to live out of this kind of generosity that they learned through the teachings of their Presbyterian church. That Presbyterian church where his mother and dad were both on the board and where Fred remembers tagging along and begging to be taken to all those kinds of things that ministers do and he's just, he became fascinated with the things they do. Fred, Fred never talked about God but he talked about faith and how faith was formed through service to the church and to the world the kind of faith that is formed out of a daily, consistent, self-giving rhythm, a, a life liturgy, perhaps, of praise and prayer and work and service. Fred didn't believe that talking about God would make him a better minister. He did not believe that talking about God would make him a better minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that it was in the living of God. It was in the living, that liturgy, that faithful liturgy that ordered his daily lives that made him the best minister. And this word liturgy, um, if you remember, we, we talked about it in that one defining our term series that we did. It means actually work, work of a people. And it's not just what we enact here in worship, like this bulletin in front of you. It's Fred used this word when he used it. He, he meant it as this daily work of faithful people, that daily ordering of your life so that everyone around you and yourself can flourish, which is so important and honestly, not at all new. This kind of liturgy, this kind of daily ordering and working in faith is what the Apostle Timothy is talking about in our scripture today. Timothy is writing to this little growing church plant in Ephesus, this new church in the ancient world that is starting to get its legs. In the first couple of chapters of his letter, Timothy talks about how the church is growing, and as it grows, it needs to be ordered. 
and it needs to be sustained effectively. This little church is getting its legs and thinking about leadership and thinking about sustainability and thinking about what it looks like to be a viable church for years to come in the community. And as they grow, they're more, there's more and more responsibility and more and more to keep up with and this larger infrastructure that has to be sustained and managed. I wonder what that's like. <laughs> and Timothy is helping them understand the value of church governance, of, of boards and committees and financial protocol and funeral and wedding policies and, and that's just on the local scale. He goes on to talk about bishops and authority and false teachers and schisms. And then he talks about that liturgy, that life liturgy that has got to undergird all of that if we're going to be a part of this carrying out the gospel into the world. This daily life liturgy, this predictable, faithful rhythm that is the, the true marker of a growing church and of a growing disciple. Timothy says this to this little growing church in Ephesus. I wonder if there's another church that may need to hear it. <clears throat> Train yourselves in godliness. Commit yourselves to a rhythm of service. Because it's not going to come naturally. It's never going to come easy for you. Train yourself. Commit yourselves to things that require work. Take part in the toil, engage in the struggle, because it is in that liturgy, in that kind of daily and weekly and monthly ritual, that, that life liturgy, that you will be sustained in the hope of the living God. Timothy says these are the things you must insist on, no matter how old you are, or how young you are, or busy you are, or skeptical you are, you have a role to play in the work of the gospel. Give attention to the community. Do not neglect the gift that is in you that Jesus asks that you give the church. Train yourself. Put this into practice. Show up consistently. Make hard commitments. Follow through with those hard commitments. Devote yourself so that you may be part of this progress. Pay attention to yourself and to the teaching and ministry of the church. And in doing this, you will save yourself, and you will save those around you. Train yourself. Do the work. Engage in the liturgy. It will save you and all you meet. <clears throat> Fred discovered this at a very young age. While, while his parents taught him to care for others from their place of privilege, he always felt like an outsider. This little boy who was shy, introverted, very lonely most of his childhood. His parents had a limousine drive him to school every day. And in the height of the Depression, in an industrial working class town, he was teased relentlessly for it. He wanted to make friends desperately. He craved it. But many kids weren't allowed to come over to Fred's house because they didn't have clothes nice enough for his house, their parents said. And Fred was lonely and this quiet, chubby kid to, who suffered from, from, from childhood asthma and he was self-conscious and he was insecure and the kids at school called him Fat Freddy. And one day his chauffeur, 
didn't show up to drive him home from school, and, he, and kids chased him down the street shouting, we're going to get you, Fat Freddy, we're going to get you, Fat Freddy, and he was traumatized by that experience. And so he gets home, and he tells his parents and his grandparents of this experience, and they said, oh, just pretend like you don't care. Just pretend it doesn't bother you. Just pretend, just pretend it doesn't bother you, that you don't care, and they'll just leave you alone. And Fred, at about 10 or 11 years old, thought, but I do care. Like, I care so much. And then that thought pivoted toward a question. Well, Freddie, if you care, what are you going to do about it then? What are you going to do with all that you feel, with all that you care about? And from that point on, he began to develop in his mind this way of living and working, a life liturgy that would help him know what to do with what he was feeling, in a world that told him to forget how he was feeling. He went to church every Sunday and squirmed in the pews and got shushed by his parents. And during long sermons, he dazed off and studied the stained glass windows with the depictions of lilies and hollies and gazed up at the broad, round lights on the ceiling and noticed all the burnt-out bulbs. And he got, as he got older, he participated more in the liturgy, and he started standing to sing and reciting the creeds and shaking hands during the passing of the peace and receiving the bread and wine during communion. And he would arrive early, and he would help Elder Stevens replace offering envelopes in the pews and stay after to pick up the trash in the pews down the rows. And, and Fred said he sometimes went, just went through the motions. Sometimes he didn't want to be there. But it was all those motions that shaped him. That's what liturgy is all about, going through the motions again and again, because we believe those motions will make us who we want to be, who God wants us to be. Those rituals, that, that training, as the Apostle Timothy calls it, helps us to grow in the inside, as Fred would say to his very young listeners. Helps you grow in the inside. Fred knew that children are creatures of liturgy. He knew that adults are creatures of liturgy. He, we humans respond very well to routine, don't we? Like some of us crave it and even require it in our lives. We're shaped by it. And so it's no wonder that when Fred designed his program in, this, in his little neighborhood, he built both the neighborhood and the program out of a liturgy. The music accompanying the aerial shot of the model neighborhood, the musical accent coinciding with the camera's approach to the house, the opening of the door, this one man standing there. So I want you to see if you can, can inspect the liturgy that Fred had.
a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Hello, neighbor. So the song, the blazer off and on the hanger, the sweater on and zipped, the loafers traded for sneakers, the greeting every time, hello neighbor, the format loosened over time, but the liturgies didn't end. The trolley always led into the neighborhood. Kids could re rely on it leading into the land of make-believe, and Mr. Rogers always fed his fish. And the final song promising that he would be back the next day, you can depend on that. I promise you, I will be back the next day. They could count on it, and they together would take part in that liturgy all over again the next day. I'll be back when the day is new. I promise you, I'll be back when the day is new and I'll have more ideas for you and you'll have ideas for me too and you'll have things you'll want to talk about and I'll have things I want to talk about. But Fred didn't just have liturgies for the program. Every day of his life, he, he would rise and sing Ubilate Deo. Every day, every day he would swim laps in the pool. Every day he would kneel by his bedside and pray for people by name. And there's even a story of Fred Rogers getting on the scale one day when he was younger and seeing that he weighed 143 pounds. And he thought, hmm, as people do, you're going to hear this and go, nobody thinks that, but Fred does. <laughs> and he thought, one is the number for I, four is the number for love, three is the number of letters in you. He decided that he would work to stay his entire life at 143 pounds as long as he could so he could have this daily reminder of God's love and his call to love all the world. Every time he stepped on the scale, and for 30 years he remained at 143 pounds. And these liturgies shaped other liturgies. These liturgies shaped the way he interacted with people. He had a whole liturgy of interactions. People talked about, and you always wanted him. They wanted him to change. They wanted it to be different the next time they interviewed him, and he was still that same person. This, it changed the, the liturgy, the way he met someone, valuing their presence above all else in the room. And <clears throat> action. Do you know what this is? It's Lord. Lord. Hold, please. We can't fire him, can we? <laughs> oh, it's nice to meet you. What? Are you all right? 
play the plate. It looks like it hurts. Uh, let's chat afterwards. Maybe we moving. could have Evan take a, take a look at him. No, I'm, I'm good. No, I'm good. I'm sorry, Fred. Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> it's wonderful to meet you. So glad you're here, Lord. I'm looking forward to, to talking with you. I truly am. After this, everyone, th th this is Lloyd Vogel. He is a wonderful writer. It changed the way he met people. It changed the way he focused on people over everything else. He also had this liturgy of remembering to check back in with people that he was praying for by name, praying to see how they're doing now. He was known for calling back interviewers 10 years later to ask, how's your son? How's he growing up? Call after he prays for them by name. Is this Andrea? Yes. This is Fred Rogers. Oh, hi. Who is it? Uh, Lloyd's right here. Oh, no, Andrea, while I have you, I just want to thank you so much for sharing Lloyd with us. Can't be easy him traveling with Gavin at home. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I'm going to give Lloyd to you now. Mr. Rogers knows my name. <laughs> <laughs> and as he became more and more famous, he even had this liturgy of interviewing that drove his interviewers insane. Every person who interviewed him said he was the most difficult person to interview ever because he always seemed to spin it and start inquiring about you and all of a sudden you're talking about your problems and you didn't even realize he did it. This uh, piece will be for an issue about heroes. Do you consider yourself a hero? I don't think of myself as a hero. No, not at all. What about Mr. Rogers? Is he a hero? I don't understand the question. Well, there's you, Fred, and then there's the character you play, Mr. Rogers. You said it was a play at the plate. Is that, is that, what, is that what happened to you? I, I'm, I'm here to interview you, Mr. Rogers. Well, that is what we're doing, isn't it? Fred Rogers had a, a liturgy to live by, a rhythm of life that shaped him and shaped, shaped him and saved him and shaped everyone around him and started to save people around him too. Timothy said, it's the training. Timothy said, train yourselves in godliness. Take up the rhythms until it changes your entire way of seeing the world. Fred Rogers had a liturgy to live by. We all need one. And so here's my question for you. Do you have one to live by? Do you have a rhythm of your life that makes you into the person God is calling you to be? That changes the way you meet people for the first time? that changes the way you sustain relationships for the long haul, that changes the way you think of yourself and makes you spin it so that you're always thinking of others. You have a liturgy to live by. 
a big believer my whole life that this is the place that can help you find that liturgy. And if you've noticed the way the world markets <coughs> things, it's all about the one-time pleasure. thing about a liturgy is it's never one time, and it's always work. It always is. But it is saving you. It's that saving work that over time shapes you and forms you and makes you who God's calling you to be. The thing I noticed when I was watching Fred interview was how similar it was to the way Jesus was interviewed. Ever notice when people ask Jesus questions, he had this weird way of turning it back around and putting it back to you. Would you pray with me? God, we all need and desire a liturgy to live by. A, a work that we can toil in. And we say that out loud, but if we're honest, we really just want the one-time thing. We want to drop in and out. Because it's hard. It's hard to be a part of something for the long haul. It's hard to be counted on, to follow through. It's hard to allow what we do here to not just be something that feels good in us, but it's something that changes us so that we can make others feel good and valued too. Forgive us, God, for the ways this community has, has perhaps done the liturgy of worship but hasn't lived the liturgy of of meeting and of remembering and of caring and of thinking of ourselves less and thinking about others more. God, we lift up those people in our lives to you right now who's, who are in desperate need of a liturgy, are in desperate need of a rhythm something that can sustain them because life has just been so chaotic. It's crumbling around them and they can't barely breathe and they can't hold on for whatever reason. God, we pray that, that they would turn to you and begin building their lives on your love. And we lift up to you those saints like, like Barbara who was recently moved to, to hospice care, who we can just look at her life and see the liturgy by which she lived. We can see how full it was, and how it shaped the way she met people, and the way she continued relationships, the way she continues to love us, the way she is always thinking of others over herself. What a beautiful rhythm to live by. May we live by that rhythm. And we pray together that prayer, that rhythm that you taught us to pray. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 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 